0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Styles Files with your host, Alan Styles. Thank you, as always, for listening. Joined by a very special guest today, a fellow Temple alum, one of Philly's finest sportscaster, anchor for SportsCenter, Kevin Agandi. Kevin, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Hey, Alan. It's my pleasure to be a part of this. It's, it's nice to talk to uh, another Al uh, in the business. Of
0: course. Of course. Of course. So. Yeah. Let's just get started from, there's so much to get to. Let's just get started from the beginning. I like to call it the origin story. When did you know you wanted to get into this business as a sportscaster or any type of sports media? And how did that all kind of progress for you?
1: Uh, I, honestly, it was one of those light bulb moments. Uh, I was a 14-year-old kid uh, who um, who thought I was going to become an architect. I loved drawing. I loved... Uh, doing a variety of different things when it came to art. And then um, uh, I I took a building construction class uh, after my advisor suggested it. And I remember the first week in that class, I absolutely dreaded the class. I hated it. And I said, this isn't for me. I like like to draw, but I I don't want to look at the the details and the inner workings of, uh, you know, what are the measurements inside a house? I was like, I I, I don't want to do this. And I just remember um, watching a a college basketball game and I remember exactly the moment there's a young man at the free throw line shooting free throws and they put up his profile and the two uh, guys on the air, the play-by-play and the color guy get into a discussion about what this young man wanted to major in and said communications. And and the guy said, he wants to do our job. And Mm -hmm. it, it seriously, I stopped and The bulb went off and I said, wait a second. I can get the chance to do this. I can get the chance to travel. I can get the chance to um, talk about sports and be at games. This is the greatest thing ever. And I can get paid and call this a profession. It it was – I never put a, you know, one plus one together while watching games that I could do this until I heard these guys talk about a college kid because Mm -hmm. I was four years away. And then I remember watching Sports Center that night and uh it was what 1989 and i remember specifically saying i want to be the first indian american on sports center that was like this outrageous 14 year old dream cuz that's that's what we do we have big dreams and we think anything's possible and uh i was grateful to to have uh family support and then and then you know after that it was the next couple of years, all right, what am I actually going to do? How am I, how do I even do this? Because
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, being of uh, Indian descent, you look around, if I want to become a lawyer, I have family. If I want to become an accountant, I could talk to my dad. If I want to go to the medical profession, I could talk to my mom and all our other relatives that were nurses or doctors. Right. Um, I didn't have anybody around to yes. say, what do I need to do? So I just started doing my own research and I found out Bob Costas went to Syracuse and I thought Bob Costas was the gold standard. And then I started looking around at other guys and where they, Marv Albert and what they did and where they went to school. And I thought that I had to go to the schools that they went to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, when I, you know, my junior year when I started putting together a list of schools, my brother was actually at Temple and I remember my mom was like, you should start considering, you know, Temple. It's a really good school on the East Coast. And I was just like, "Nope, I'm going far away. I'm going to right. be this, this kid that's going to leave everything, and come back home. And um, so I looked at schools like Northwestern, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Penn State, uh, USC, Syracuse. It came down to USC and Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't think I was going to study at USC because I would be at the beach.
0: Yeah, I was going to say two completely different weather situations.
1: And I thought, all right, I'm going to go to Syracuse, be the next Bob Costas. Well, Mm -hmm. Alan, I'll be honest with you. I didn't study at Syracuse either.
2: Right, (laughs) right. It was too
1: much snow. And honestly, you know, this was like my second month in, in October of my freshman year, 1993. And I... I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling that I was going to get the opportunity that I wanted, uh, which I wanted immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the environment wasn't really perfect for me to to grow. Um, And I just kind of assessed myself really quick within two months of having a lot of fun at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, partying and looking around and saying, am I going to waste my parents' money? I, I felt there was a sense of responsibility where I- I- right. I'm not wasting my my mom and dad's money to just party all the time. And within a, a month, I called my mom and I just said, I, I think I'm going to look to transfer. And my mom, this this five foot one, uh, you know, fire plug, yeah. um, on her own, went to North Philly, and in the early 90s which wasn't wasn't great yeah and uh didn't know where she was going found a way went to the communications office met with an advisor got all the information and basically my mom said well you know how about this and she provided all this information she's slick this is what moms do i was unaware that she had done all this and i was like okay i'm gonna look into it my mom had already done the research (laughs) and um it made it easy for me. Next thing you know, in January of 1994, I'm at Temple. And right. uh, it was the best decision uh, I, I've ever made in my career. Uh, because within a year, I was doing internships, you know, with the Phillies uh, and Channel 17. Um, and they're and they're during their broadcast of their games. I'm with Harry Callison, and Whitey Ashburn. I, I'm doing internships eventually at 610 WIP I'm doing an internship at the fan which was a a magazine at the time uh, in Philadelphia I was doing uh, you know I was covering Temple basketball when they were really good and and working with guys like Stephen A. Smith who was at the Philadelphia Inquirer so I I made sure I was thoroughly uh, immersed in the communications program at Temple but at the same time in Market 4 in Philadelphia and uh, I always tell kids that that You know, the school doesn't make you. It's what you do with the school. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, radio station, I was there for three years. The TV station at Temple, I was there for two and a half years. I interned at Channel 6. I interned at Channel 10. Mm -hmm. Um, I made sure that I built relationships as I was going on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, honestly, I I, I tell kids that, uh, young men and women now, um, you know, leaving high school, approaching college, you don't want to be in a position where you're going to look back and say, what if? Right. And yeah. I went with that mentality that uh, these next four years, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to say what if. And, then, and that, then the rest is history. My first job uh, coming out of school while I was still in school was at a production company, uh, Ross Productions, where we were doing a high school sports show. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, you know, this show, they had it nationally around every uh, city had their own high school sports show. But it was yeah. coming out of Bella Kinwood in Pennsylvania. And I was on Fox 29 right before the Eagles pregame show on Sunday mornings. And I had a great crew, but they were all Temple guys. Yeah. And one of my professors knew another guy that they saw my tape, and I got the uh, chance to, to get that job. And the Temple opened doors that allowed me to put together a professional tape because I was on the air in market four to get my first job in Missouri. So I, I always uh, look back at my Temple experience and said – and say that, you know, obviously I have to do the work, but Temple gave me the opportunities to do do those those things that I wanted to do to build the relationships and continue to add to my resume.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is I'll tell you what, you talk about an origin story. That is a great run right there. And because that was gonna be my my next question as far as being the first Indian American To be a a sports anchor on this level, which is, I mean, impressive. All those words would be understatements. But so you definitely knew, okay, there's nobody on that looks like me and I'm going to change that.
1: Yeah. So when I got my first job in Missouri, uh, I'm 23 years old. And and granted, this is uh, back in 1998. So the Internet wasn't as prevalent, but I got word. Uh, that I was the second Indian American on local sports on a local TV station doing sports right. in American television history. Uh, a guy named Raj Mathai was in um, San Jose, who's now a news oh, anchor.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah.
1: news anchor.
0: I'm from the Bay area. So we know Raj out
2: here. So,
1: so Raj was the first one mm-hmm. and then I was the second one. And uh, you know, I was really proud of that. And, and here's the thing, like, you saw a lot of Indian Americans kind of in the late nineties breakthrough on the news level. Mm -hmm. You were not seeing anybody in sports. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just really cool that, that, that as, as I, you know, as I was in my second job in Sarasota, you started hearing about other guys and then, uh, word starts getting around. It's a small circle. And, and then when I got the ESPN in 2006, I got to tell you Alan, I was nervous for many reasons when I went on the air. Um, because I, I wasn't, and I say this often because I really believe this. I wasn't just representing my family. I wasn't representing just my hometown of Phoenixville or my university at Temple or the Philadelphia area. I felt like I was representing Indian Americans everywhere. Of course. Who had faced stereotypes that you see on the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Faced stereotypes that were mainstreamed everywhere else, but there was no, There was none of the presence that we have now with the the Hassan menages of the world, you know, Mm. um, the Cal pens, the Harry Kondabalus. We we didn't have those kind of things. Um, and the Sanjay Gupta's. So I felt like I've got to do this right because I, people are going to judge me for a lot of, uh, other people. Yeah. And it's a broad brush and, and I'm really proud that when I got to ESPN over the last, um, Fifteen years, we've seen guys like uh, Anish Shroff, Adnan Burke, Adam uh, Amin, um, uh, Nabil. Uh, you know who's who's fantastic right now on uh, Quibi for, for what we're doing on ESPN. Nabil Kareem. So uh, you, you know Zubin Mahenti, who uh, you know I talked to before he got to ESPN. He mm-hmm. reached out to me because he knew people that knew me, and uh, it, it, I, I wear uh, I wear that with great pride. That uh, opening the door, but at the same time, making sure I did a good job. Yeah. And now seeing all the guys that have now come into the business, uh, and and girls, I should say, uh, that they are owning that space as well, not because of our background, but because they're really good at their job. Because more than anything, you get the opportunity. great. You still got to own it. You still Mm got to be good. Yeah. Uh, And there were not a lot of opportunities that were coming our way. So we had to be better than everybody. And I was mindful of that I had to outwork everybody and be better and make sure that I'm covering my butt because uh, people are going to look at me differently and be harsher. And and I saw that on social media. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you see that, but my job was just like, all right, over time, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show it. And then when that happens. Uh, they're going to trust me. So you're kind of building a trust, but already with people doubting you, that's just kind of the, the, the world we live in.
0: Oh, trust me. Yeah, trust me. I know exactly what you mean. The whole thing is just, you know, so interesting because when you talk about the responsibility you have, it's very similar to when you're watching the World Series or the NBA Finals, and there's somebody playing that is from, you know, a country that, not a lot of people have heard of. And a lot of times the analysts will say, this guy or this person is representing their country right now because wherever they are, they know everybody is tuned in. And you, you have that platform that, maybe, you know, a group of people haven't had before.
1: That's a great example. You know, you perfect uh, example with the NBA is Dirk Nowitzki, right? Mm-hmm. When, when he first got drafted, there was a lot of skepti- skepticism about Euros and how they play. And then you see the projection of his career, you know. And uh, I think then they go back to the lazy um, – stereotypes when Darko Milicic doesn't succeed right Right, and and then you see what what Porzingis has done Mm -hmm. uh you see what Doncic has done like I think that you can continue to to break down those stereotypes but it's it's very easy to go put people in boxes because people don't want to look they don't want to open up the box they just want to put it in a box and say okay you're right there I don't need to think anymore um and I I think that that translates a lot outside of the sports world yeah. Uh, that that these assumptions are quickly made uh, because people just don't want to think and then they move on. And, and as a result, uh, we're not getting nuance. We're not getting context. We're not getting the full story. We're not getting empathy. We're just getting ignorance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I also like your note about your mom just making it happen. Sounds very similar to my mom, who's Panamanian. And just, she's not taking no for an answer. no matter, Exactly. No matter what. No matter what. So I did want to talk to you about how sports media has changed in some ways since you started the business right i went to temple for strategic communications i feel like i have a good background i feel like i have all the tools but the bottom line is nowadays anybody can start a podcast it doesn't matter whether people other people think you're good or not you could be the only one listening so when you look at that but then you look at and like you said the diversity has improved right it has improved but it could still be better. And I would like to know, how do you think when when it comes to, you know, anyone can have a podcast, but to have the companies that say, hey, we like you, we want to incorporate it to you. So it can be your job, right? A lot of people are just doing it as a side gig. So how do you think that diversity can improve in sports media? We have, you know, the association for minority journalists and a lot of different things that, that are trying to improve it. But how do you think we can continue to go in that direction?
1: I, I think that the the way we can do it is making sure you're credible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you bring up a great point Alan on anybody can get a mic and say anything these days. and 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 that that's beyond uh, sports, but these megaphones that we have with no one fact checking, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then everybody taking, uh, taking these barking noises and these loud noises as, oh, okay, that's gospel because you, you scream the loudest. Mm -hmm. So then I have to listen to you. Right. Um, I, I think that, 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 uh, that's the one thing that has kind of infiltrated the journalism field of, Hey, here are the facts. Here's what we know you decide. Now it's, here's my opinion. This is the only thing Facts don't matter. Yeah. And we're seeing that a lot in podcasts and, and the ability of social media and people kind of branding themselves saying, I'm going to do whatever I want and say whatever I want because I'm going to go on emotion uh, rather than facts. And right. when you're seeing, you know, cutbacks in, in the newspaper business, in the broadcasting business, uh, ed- of the editorial space uh, and the fact checking. Uh, I think the public gets gets hit really hard. and And what you're seeing now is, to me, established credibility is a premium, and we're not seeing a lot of that right now in the industry. right. Um so I bring that up because if if somebody in the space of the background of ESPN and having the backing there, or, you know, Bleacher Report, or you know, there's going to be levels of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to see more opportunities for minorities to get those chances at those those type of venues to build a brand because the credibility is established already. Right. So people are going to say, "I'm going to give you a chance," mm-hmm. and you already have uh, instant credibility. And um, it's really tough. It's really tough in the space. Uh, because the, the barkers are unfortunately crowding the space and taking a lot of the spots, and um, I, th- I I hope that we uh, we're reaching a point where our tolerance is now maxed out by saying I, I, I don't want to hear noise. I want to hear now facts, mm-hmm. and I want to hear presented in a professional manner. So, it, uh, to me, uh, my my advice would with, uh, with anybody of a minority background uh that wants to get into the the podcast business or or you know any type of YouTube background and just find a way to make sure with your audience you're establishing credibility, you're establishing stuff with facts. Your interviews are done with with people who bring credibility to um to the conversation, right? Because Mm -hmm. the more credibility you can you can have in a conversation in that space, I think the more you can establish trust with the viewer who's consuming that information. Uh, when you're going to do the research that you're going to do, make sure the questions are not just, Hey, how are you? You know, yeah. I believe in open-ended questions, but I also believe that they should be um, defined questions and you're giving the respect to the subject that I've invested in you. I've done enough research where I want to get information out of you, but at the same time I'm bringing a credibility. So uh, to me, uh, you know, I, a variety of stuff like you reaching out to me. It's great. Uh, but there's a variety of stuff that I've seen where podcasters just reach out to, you know, anybody and then they bring them on and they're just happy that they have the person on, but yeah. they haven't done any research, any, any concept of how do I make this interview better? And as a result, you know, you're, you're doing a disservice to your, your listening audience because here you have a certain time frame with somebody who's who's giving you their um their thoughts you've got to make sure you're getting the best from them so you have to bring it so I, that i hope i've answered your question on the, on the different layers of what's different between a credible podcast what's different between the idea of just you know putting on a red light pressing record and just saying i'm just going to talk you yeah. know um That's kind of how you can separate yourself in the space because you know uh, sometimes I've been approached by people that want to do interviews and and they've done extensive uh, interviews with other people who I trust and know Mm -hmm. and then I'm like okay I'm gonna give them an opportunity because if you know uh, you know let's just say if an Adam Schefter has done a podcast with somebody I know he's vetted it out so I will give this person a more uh, open uh, conversation to say, let's try and do, it. let's see if we can work our schedules. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. You know, it, you have to separate yourself in wh- whatever way it is necessary. And I think, you know, doing the work and obviously just grinding it out, those are some of the ways to to separate yourself. So it it definitely makes sense. So thank you for answering that. Okay, well, this has been An outstanding interview. But before I let you go, we're going to pivot to do some Temple, some Philly talk, because we we have to. Great, Alan. So as as a Temple alum or as a Temple fan, you got to give me one of your favorite memories when it comes to Temple.
1: Wow. Wow. So I've got a, I've got a couple, um, mm-hmm. you know, just working with John Cheney and covering him as as a 19, 20 year old, going to my first practice at five in the morning and just sitting there nervously. Um, and then, you know, you just wait there. And then after practice, he, he you know, he has a conversation. He's like, son, where are you from? And I'm like, uh, I'm from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And he's like, No, 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 no. Where are you from? Where are your right. parents from? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, they're they're from India, uh, Coach. And then he brings me into his office, and then we sat there for more than two and a half hours. Wow, probably three hours talking about life, not about sports. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a 19 year old kid, you just you're just like, Oh my gosh, um, those are the moments that I will always cherish, man. And he was great. He brought in teams like Duke, you know, and when yeah. Temple shocked Duke in the mid-90s and I was covering the game, when UNLV came to town with Tark and, and all their guys, and and I actually remember telling my parents, the Apollo, which is the Leah Kors Center, uh, was opening up in, uh, I think it was the fall of 97. Mm-hmm. I was scheduled to graduate before then. I convinced my parents can I stay an extra semester so I can be the first student to call a game inside the building? There you go. And I said, well, just do like I'll I'll do maybe just five, ten more credits and then I'll do a, an, an internship. I'll make money, but let me do this a uh, fall semester. And my parents were like, we understand. And that was just cool. That like, yeah, I closed out McGonagall Hall as the last student to call a game. I opened up the Apollo as the first student. That meant the world to me. So uh, those basketball stories, you know, Aaron McKee and Eddie, uh, those were great dudes uh, when I was on campus. And now to know Aaron and a- as the head coach, it's it's a great experience. The the other thing that I love was the the, the rise of the football team and the be on the field when they beat Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, that was awesome. That was a dream come true as a yeah. Temple al. considering I saw some bad football through the years. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Then, and then the Notre Dame game, and to be a part of the Sports Center, you know, game day experience, yep. And, yep. and then to be at that game and how we almost won that game. It was uh, it a was, it was very special night that the entire college football world was fully aware of Temple, and I, and I got to, to share those stories with the country uh, on a national scale, uh, there's nothing better to talk about. Uh, for me personally, as a sports a sports nut that uh, mm-hmm. that fell in love with Temple hoops as a 12 year old.
0: Yeah, it, trust me. I think anybody that has any connection to Temple will never forget that Notre Dame game. I know. I know exactly where I was as well. Yeah. But even the stuff you talk about, you know, as far as waiting that extra semester, being the last one to call a game at McGonagall, Those are the little nooks and crannies that, when you're talking about again. Separating yourself. I think a lot of people, when they're kids, they go, they what do you do? You watch TV and you see somebody talking, talking about sports. Wow, that looks great. You don't realize what all goes into it. And yes. even now, adults, you know, I I love to get make sure that whoever I have on the show gives their origin story because a lot of people don't realize what goes into it you're watching tv you're watching sports center and it's almost similar to a music artist right somebody will like like lizzo somebody will who doesn't know or isn't necessarily deep in the music industry you pop up one day with a big song or you pop up one day doing your segment on SportsCenter. center everyone's like who is this this is a one-hit wonder or overnight story and you're like you have no idea what i went through to get here So that's
1: an excellent point. And Alan, I tell people that all the time, you know, uh, we can, we can always be kind of single minded to say, I want to get here and forget the actual journey in the process. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, you go from Missouri in my first job to my second job uh, in Sarasota, you know, I I was making $15,000 in Missouri, my second gig, I'm making 26,000. And I'm like, yeah, I made it, you know, I got out of TV for a year and I thought I was done. And then I got back and, uh, you know, you're grinding every the, – the local people grind every single day. Mm. And uh, I grinded. I made sure that, uh, you know, this job we're, – we're, we're not nine to five people. There's nothing normal about us, right? So you go into work. You work 14 hours. You work till the job is done. You don't go into work saying, oh, uh, well, it's time to check out. I've got to go. And and that's what this business is about. It's some days you're working eight hours. That's a win. Some days you're working 12 to 15 hours, 20 hours. That's just part of it. Some days, you know, um, you really stink on the air and you're like, why am I in this business? And then some days you come back and you're like, I literally can do anything right yeah. now, because you had a great show. And people don't understand that process. And it, it took me a while to you know, say, appreciate the journey, appreciate there's a process to this. Um, I, I get a kick out of people saying, well, why do you gotta go into work so early? You don't, you're just reading a prompter and you're just like, you, know, you have no idea about the process to get there, writing, making sure you're doing the right research, making sure you're collaborating with your producers, your mm-hmm. segment producers, your coordinating producer, your director. Uh, you, you're putting together uh, something on the air as a team. It's it's exactly like, you know, on the air, I'm the quarterback. Quarterback, whether we win or lose, will get the most praise or also get crushed, right? Mm-hmm. But a, as a result, there's a game plan that's being put in on, on a Tuesday where everybody's involved and everybody behind the scenes, all, they play your role as the offensive lineman, the wide receivers, the running backs. The tight ends—they all have to still do their job for the quarterback to make the pass. Mm-hmm. So all of us are working in sync together in this process that takes time. And and I think that you know Dan Patrick once said that if somebody thinks that my job is easy, then I'm doing a great job to make it look easy. And yeah, uh, I, I when somebody tells me, "Oh man, you got you got the you got the life," it's it looks so easy. I'm like, well, I'm doing something great then because they think it looks easy, but there, there is so much grinding. And like you said, with musicians who do all the things that they do as the process, just to get something done. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you saw the uh, documentary on, uh, on Dr. Dre on mm-hmm. HBO, where, where it's the process of trying to get some, an album together, one right. song together, where he's yeah. just like, I don't feel it. Or I'm staying till five in the morning to get, to lay one track down. that, that process is, is a constant here where people just say, well, ah, that, that looks like fun. It's fun, but man, it's work. Yeah, and and you do it every single day.
0: Right. And you know, to your point about every day is different, I actually caught you on TV last week and I thought to myself, because we were still trying to set this up, and I thought to myself, you know, all these conferences canceling their football seasons, I'm sure this is a pretty busy week for Kevin right now. <laughs>
1: It was, it was. And you know, that's a show where you did four and a half hours. You find out an hour beforehand, hey, we're going on two hours early. And you're literally, you're grinding for four and a half hours. But Mm -hmm. when I say grinding, you're you're actually showing that all the work and research you've done leading up to those moments, all the interviews you've done, all the stuff you've done and gathered all the intel will pay off now for four and a half hours when they bring in guests constantly. And you are thinking off the top of your head, next question, next question, how do we make this uh, a conversation where we can move the topic forward, you know? Right. Um, That's preparation, that's a lot of work behind the scenes, that's a lot of interviews through the years to get to a point where you feel comfortable saying, this is a good question, I know why, I'm gonna ask it.
0: Yeah, again, just great stuff. You know, this has been refreshing, informative, all of those good things. I want to thank you again for your time. But before I let you go, one last question. You're going back to Philadelphia. You're headed back for the weekend, whatever the case may be. What is the one place you have to go or where is the one place you have to go eat before you leave?
1: Wow. Uh, First off, the the one place I have to go eat is at my mom's house for her Indian food. So we get that out of the way, right? Yeah. there's a variety of places. So, you know, I, the one thing that people always ask and you uh, can understand this, Alan is, Oh, what cheesesteak place? Geno's or Pat's? And you're like, neither one. We, oh, we yeah. all know oh, that yeah. those oh, are, yeah. aren't the places we go to if we're in the Philadelphia area. Right. The cool thing about Philly and the suburbs is you can go on any block on any street and find a fantastic cheesesteak from a mom and pop place, right? Mm-hmm. You can find the best pizza in the world around the corner where no one's talking about it because you know, water plays a huge role with the bread. Yeah. So uh, every place has their own nuance. And for me, DeLisandro's. if I'm around the Philly area, those cheesesteaks by the trucks are fantastic. Um, Richie's, of course, is great if you're on campus at Temple. But there's so many food trucks around that area where you're just like, I know I'm going to get something good. Uh, I always go back to, you know, the area where I live um in phoenixville and i could always find something good you know becky is is, is is a great place downtown i, I was just there with my, my one of my uh, buddies that i uh, grew up with in in high school and he he has his own place there and it was great to see him and so i, I would always say if anybody asks me i always say delisandro's reading mm-hmm. terminal market oh um, yeah you know I, there you can go to gyms uh ishka bibbles i'm I'm an ishka
0: bibbles guy yeah ishka
1: bibbles uh, chicken cheesesteaks are the bomb i keep
0: hearing that that's the one thing i haven't had
1: oh they're so straight out like they, they are amazing and uh i always tell people like you go down south street you can stop by a variety of places but ishka bibbles is one of those places that the locals know we pop in we're good to go let everybody else keep on going down the street
0: right 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 well, thanks again, Kevin. You know, like I said, keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're a great role model for everybody that, you know, watches you on TV and can kind of watch your story as it continues to unfold. I hope your flyers pull it out. I'm not so sure about your Sixers without Ben Simmons, but, nope. you know, I, I wish the best for you and the Philadelphia fan base.
1: Alan, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and go Owls.
0: Thank you. Take care. You know, that interview was just a great time right there. Obviously, someone like Kevin Agandhi is a person that I look up to when you look at what he's been able to do in his career, so I can't thank him enough for taking the time and telling his story. Really an incredible story, a historic story, and it's something that a lot of people can use as inspiration no matter what type of career that they're interested in. Don't let anybody ever tell you no. And if you want something bad enough, you're just going to keep working towards it. So uh, that's all I can say. Thank you again, Kevin, for taking the time. So it's only right to close the show with everybody's favorite segment. It's time for Please Stop.
2: Please stop.
0: I don't even know if they're hot takes, but they're just some please stops that need to be implemented immediately. So let's get right into it. Our first Please Stop...
2: Please stop.
0: Please stop comparing Damian Lillard to Steph Curry. Not only is it just tough to do, right? Especially if you're a Warrior fan, because obviously the Warriors were in Oakland for all these years. Now they're in San Francisco, but they're the Bay Area team. But Damian Lillard's from Oakland. So we love both of them, right? The only time, personally, I don't want Damian Lillard to win... Is when they're playing the Warriors. And it's just crazy that even though Damian is from Oakland. The one point guard pretty much that right now you could argue is better than Damian Lillard at this current moment. Even though he's not currently playing. Is the point guard that plays for his hometown team. So it's tough. And I just don't think it's necessary. You know. Please stop. That's what's wrong with everything right now we can never just enjoy things and i get it it's human nature to compare i really do get it but why don't we just enjoy what damian lillard is doing see how far they get and see what happens next year i mean we've seen them go head to head before and it's gone in steph's way you could argue that steph's teams were better but steph's got mvps you know but even so i'm not even trying to compare them right now I just don't think it's necessary. Just enjoy what Damian Lillard is doing. Enjoy what he did to get his team in the playoffs. Not to mention, we're so quick to forget. Remember when Kobe passed away? Obviously, so tragically. But everything that was going on on NBA Twitter and you know social media was, let's stop with the comparisons. Let's stop with the LeBron versus Michael thing. And let's just enjoy greatness. How quick are we to forget that? And months later... Damian Lillard is playing out of his mind. So, and I get it. He's shooting from the parking lot, you know, half court, just ridiculous shots. So you can't help but compare. But why do it? Why not just enjoy it? We don't know what Steph would do right now. But I'll tell you what, it was only a year ago that they swept the Blazers in the playoffs with no Kevin Durant. But again, I don't even think it's necessary to compare. Just enjoy both and we'll see what happens next year. It's very simple. It's very simple. Okay, next, please stop.
2: Please stop.
0: Please stop caring about baseball or Major League Baseball's unwritten rules. Earlier this week, the talk of baseball was Fernando Tatis for swinging In a 3-0 count, while the team was up, I believe it was seven runs in the bottom of the eighth. And the bases were loaded. And guess what? He hit a grand slam. He did what he's literally paid to do. And apparently, the Rangers coach didn't like that. The Rangers manager didn't like that. Uh, Got to the point where even his manager, uh, as in Fernando Tatis Jr.'s manager... Said that maybe he should have taken the pitch. Or he should have taken the pitch. And you have. Because of those things. You have Fernando Tatis Jr. Who could be the face of baseball. We've talked about it on this show before. Baseball needs a face. Aaron Judge. we uh, They're pushing Aaron Judge. It just hasn't really happened yet. To, to, the, to the degree I think they would have liked. Obviously it's not going to be Mike Trout. This guy could be it. And you have him. During the post-game press conference, apologizing for doing the best thing you can do as a hitter. And you wonder why people think baseball's boring. Because you get mad at people for doing their job.
2: Please, stop.
0: It's ridiculous to me. Ridiculous. I, I think it's embarrassing, honestly, if you're the, the Texas Rangers coach. Hey, man, we didn't have it today. Take it easy on us. Were you telling your players to not swing? There was a meme going around. I don't know if you were the coach at this point. Probably not. But not too long ago, the Rangers beat a team 30-3. to 30-3. to Fernando Tatis Jr.'s Padres were up seven runs with a shaky bullpen. And you're sitting there trying to come back and win. But... He shouldn't swing in a 3-0 count. And the last thing I'll say about that is this. Baseball is a game where if you succeed three times out of 10, at 30%, translating to a 300 batting average, you're probably a Hall of Famer. Most likely a Hall of Famer. But you want me to lower my chances to do well Because you didn't come to play today. You didn't bring your A game. You didn't eat your Wheaties. What world is that? What world is that? To me, that goes to when you hear these arguments, you know, the participation trophies, things like that. That's your argument right there. Because what are we doing when it's time for me to sign my contract and I got three RBIs less, okay, because I didn't want to offend anyone. Where are you then? Because ownership's not going to say, well, technically, he had 30 RBIs, not 27.
2: Please, stop.
0: Because he could have swung, but he just, he, want, he he wanted to do the right thing, as far as unwritten rules. Get out of here with that. Get out of here with that. Enough. It's embarrassing. It's literally embarrassing. Someone's paying you to win games, and you're complaining about a team beating you. It's embarrassing. I know the Padres manager walked it back. And I'm glad he did. I know he had to, but I'm glad he did because Fernando Tatis Jr. did nothing wrong. Nothing. And my last please stop. Please stop. This please stop goes out to my Slack users. You know, Slack is huge now. Everybody loves Slack. It's very convenient. But look, Slack is supposed to be used for things that need immediate action. It's... A form of instant messaging. We also have emails and things like that. So I don't need you to Slack me an FYI about something that needs to be done three four days a week from now.
2: Please stop.
0: That's not how this is supposed to work. I don't need FYIs like that. Because you know what you can't do? Once you open a message, unless I'm not using Slack correctly, once you open a message, the message is open. Now, is that a flaw in Slack system that you can't remark as unread? No, I don't think so. You know why? Because like I said, it's instant messaging for things that need immediate action. So you're sending me an FYI. I open it. You're actually causing me more work because now I got to make a separate note to say, hey, I got to remember to do this thing because you Slack me instead of emailing me For something that doesn't even need to be done at that moment. And baseball is called having a feel. Have a feel. Slack sends the... You know that thing? It's immediate message. Hey, this needs to be looked at right now. Now I look at it. It's an FYI. What am I supposed to do with that? Have a feel, people. So just please stop. So those are my please stops.
2: Please stop.
0: For this episode that's all the time i have for you today once again i want to give a huge shout out to kevin Nagandi. thank you so much for joining the show everybody continue to be safe not only do we have the pandemic these california fires are just devastating so obviously we hope everything gets contained on that front enjoy your weekend and until next time this is the styles files be safe be well be wise peace